At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American health care. Today's guest comes from us from Austin, Texas, beautiful city, Dr. Liz Quo, who currently is the chief medical officer at Everly Health. Now, I will admit that this introduction had a totally different flavor to it before we got talking to Dr. Quo ahead of time and her extensive background across the industry dealing with things like diagnostics, technology, still seeing active patients. I figure, Dr. Quo, you're going to be the best person to go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a little flavor of exactly what drives you, what motivates you, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning. So, Dr. Liz Quo, welcome to Healthcare Americana. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I would call myself sort of a, uh, at the intersection of technology, business, and healthcare. Medicine being something that I really enjoy, but I also feel like technology helps scale it. And if you don't understand the business side of things, the, you know, stakeholders, who makes the decisions, how it gets paid, it doesn't always translate into the affordability and access that we need. So I've been a serial entrepreneur. I had a really interesting uh, career in the past of, working in different types of international organizations and med device and started my own company in ed tech and then focused on a lot of digital health in the last 10 years. Um, and the most recently was at Anthem Elevance and worked as a deputy chief clinical officer running our Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial side of the business, understanding how the sausage is made, you know, how do we get reimbursed for services that we need. And then most recently joined Everly because I really believed in this concept of affordability and accessible diagnostic care. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I kind of laughed when you said, yeah, we're, we forget how the sausage is made and how things are paid. I'm not sure there's many people in this planet, let alone this country, that actually understand the flow of cash within the American healthcare system. So give us your uh, give us your 30 second pitch on how money actually changes hands in American healthcare. Generally, healthcare is paid for through, uh, you would call it three different channels. One is government, which is usually Medicare and Medicaid. Medicaid is usually those that are more underserved, lower income. Medicare is those that, as you know, are 65 and older and retired. I would say that's one government side. Then there's the commercial side. Commercial is split up into two. One is self-insured employers, those that are large employers, usually about 10,000 employees or more, sometimes 5,000, even lower than that. And those that are fully insured, which means when you're fully insured, the insurance company takes on all the risk. So they charge you a premium and you pay for it from your own pocket as a, an employee. And if there's a lot of longer term stays, the insurance company takes the risk. Self-insured, though, means that if you're large enough of a insurer um, of a company, 
you can then take the risk, but also buy something called stop loss. And it gets quite complicated, but the gist of it is that self-insured employers are large enough to take the risk, and then they can also save the premiums and hold them. So it gets very interesting when you talk about innovation, especially when you're talking about self-insured employers, because they themselves tend to have a longer-term horizon. They're willing to look at new innovations that have an ROI, return on the investment, up to three years. But fully insured, when all of our systems, for example, people switch from Medicare to Medicaid or commercial, where the look of the ROI, the return on the investment, usually needs to be within one year if you're in fully insured. All right, you're throwing a lot at me here. And this is just like red meat for a lot of people who listen to it, who are very active in the cash pay world. You know, a couple of questions just I'll be spinning from that, because I always look at innovation as you know, something that needs to happen within the broader industry of healthcare, but something that is very much held back by government involvement and the third-party payer system being oppressively expensive for the average consumer out there. So give me your take on what innovation in that setting actually means. Absolutely. I would say definitely digital health is something that's coming up again and again, mostly on the, there's a few different areas. So what does the healthcare consumer want? They want ownership of their healthcare data. They want personalized care. They're very interested in seamless and efficient end-to-end journeys, right? So they don't have to find the OB here and then find um, medication here and then figure out if they can get chronically managed, whatnot. They want one-stop shop. There's also a lot of interest in greater access to choice of healthcare providers, products, and then, of course, affordability and transparency in the cost. What does that translate into how digital can deliver? I think there's a lot of really key areas from personal healthcare records being securely owned to analytics, AI-driven enabled tools. Um, so for example, chatbots with people that are unable to access mental health providers to interoperable data that spans like, let's say your healthcare medical records gets translated into any provider that you use and can see that. And even simple provider searches and to evaluate costs and choice. Those are things that are hard, starting to happen quite a lot in the ecosystem. I love it. That's why in my introduction, I'm like, Dr. Quo, we're just going to hit this ground running here. I, I love the concept of patients owning their own data. And this is something we've talked about. And, and there's it's some interesting like blockchain companies that are, are coming around for that to keep that secure. What are some of the barriers that you're seeing in your experience to... I mean, you just put out, people talk about the triple aim. You just put out like five or six different things that we should be shooting for. What are the biggest barriers? What are the biggest challenges to be able to have, for instance, focusing on one of those issues, somebody actually have access to their medical records to be able to, one, educate themselves, but educate other physicians for a continuity of care? Absolutely. Uh, so in general, there is uh, a few things. There's difficulty with patients being able to access their own medical records from, uh, there's a lot of privacy discussions that are difficult for patients to access. You sometimes in a lot of healthcare systems need paper records, or they'll actually send you a PDF, but then it's hard to get that and you need a signature. And there's all this um, difficulty with it. So there's a goal right now, even in multiple companies, when they're more direct to consumer, to be able to access that lab value that you took um, in your home testing. And there's also this really big concept, like you said, of blockchain and how there's the belief that in the future you can upload all of your medical records into one place and be able to access it and then using NLP and AI to sort of comb through the records for information that you need. That's the future state. Right now, I think we're still far behind that. 
But I do think there are, as we progress in this ecosystem, um, the future of that is, is, is possible. I hope so. And, and I always joke, and, and listeners of the show are going to roll their eyes when I say this, but you know, two years ago, a lot of hospitals were patting themselves on the back for being able to implement virtual care. And I'm sitting here saying, you know, we've, we've been able to do video calls to overseas since the early 90s. This is it. <laughs> you know, it's like, are we it's always going to be 20? Yeah. Are we always going to be 20, 30 years behind, you know, the, the technological uh, cutting edge when it comes to healthcare initiatives? And I don't know. I hope we close the gap during the pandemic. I, I, I really, I really do. And so, you know, where I want to go with this is really kind of get your understanding of what you do at Everly Health, what you guys are doing over there. Because, I mean, already I can I understand that you are a very values driven individual. That you're not going to just go spend your time in something you don't believe in. So, give us a little background of why you joined Everly Health, and then what your role is there. Absolutely. I love the concept when I first started, which is accessibility to diagnostic driven care that helps you personalize the care um, and also create preventative measures. And ultimately, I call it the three P's, which is predictive too. So for example, if someone comes in and says, you know, I would really like to understand more about my fertility. What we could do is we could pull in through symptoms. You could report, let's say you've had some weight gain, some potential hair loss, and we could say, well, let's do fertility. I know you would like to do that, figure out your hormones, but it sounds like you may need also a thyroid test and a few other tests. I do believe virtual health is great, but without some of the diagnostic tools that we know can really figure out biomarkers for you, um, it's harder to drive to the end reason for why you're coming in. What what are your symptoms? What are they driven by? What's the underlying cause? About 70% of diagnoses across any disease comes from lab tests. And so we know that for lab-driven care, you can then find out what exactly you need. So instead of just coming in with a consult, maybe doing a virtual care visit, it's actually getting to the root cause. My other goal is to really drive test to treat. This concept of now that you got tested, let's say we know you have a lower thyroid. How do I replenish your thyroid? How do I continue to um, manage this disease virtually so that you can live a very wholesome, free life without having to constantly be tested, going to the hospital, um, but being able to test in your own home, follow up with the exactly a provider and having the access and affordable, transparent cost is what we're looking to do. It's music to my ears. And, and I'm glad you said that because it just drives me nuts when we talk to Oh, hospital executives and they're like, yeah, you know, quality of care, all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, what does quality really mean to you? And they say, well, it's whatever Medicare and Anthem and, and United tell us it is. And I go, does quality mean that you actually cure somebody? And they're like, well, they, they're not going to say, well, no, it doesn't because we lose a ton of money if we actually cure that person. So I appreciate that you're coming out saying, you know what, we're going to figure out what's going on and then we're going to actually treat it as the aim goal of fixing it. And I think uh, that mindset Sometimes like people, you, you say that to somebody and they just kind of look at you like you got a third eye in the middle of your forehead. We're like, well, why would I, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to look at root cause? Yes, I know. It's, it's fascinating because you have to look at the stakeholder ecosystem. So how do each of the different providers, payers make money? Payers make money if you can reduce costs. But what do they look at? They look at oftentimes covering something that's within 12 months of the coverage. So for example, if they can reduce diabetes, but the chances are if the return on the investment isn't going to come back for five years, it's harder for a payer to justify that. But instead, they'll try to justify, how do I reduce length of stay in the hospital? How do I reduce a readmission? How do I reduce complications to surgeries? Those are things that they look at because they're much more costly within one year of a member being in there. 
for, as you said, a provider, they're looking at if someone gets admitted, it's actually higher pay, right, for them. So that's why there's some discussion right now of value-based care. But of course, that's something to be tested. And it's still something that we're working through as a, as, as a, as a country. I love when buzzwords come from third-party uh, uh, payer-involved in fact, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, it, they, they can take some value-based care, which is like, okay, this sounds pretty good, but what does that actually mean to a lot of people? And and to just, again, go dumb it down for, for my sake. And I'm like, well, once you treat somebody, you don't want to have them readmitted back into it because everything's bundled and now you're at you're at risk from that standpoint. That's right. We're talking to Dr. Liz Coyle, the chief medical officer at Everly Health. Dr. Coyle, Everly to me in this role, and you've talked about this, very consumer-centric, and I'm curious, give us a kind of a baseline view on what that business model is. Like, is this something where you figure out how to take this directly to consumers or do you work through health plans, employers? How do you guys get paid? Great question. We have two different channels. One is definitely through consumers directly. Uh, so we know, for example, that if we can help people prioritize their healthcare journey, allowing them to test to treat, as we talked about, we can learn from the gaps and the inequities. We can figure out how to reach people in further areas where they may not have a specialist. We have something even called a food sensitivity, food allergies, where it's harder sometimes to get a specialist in this space. So we can actually go directly to help you test we really like this idea of helping people with their entire healthcare journey. Um, the other idea is to help them with consumers that have sometimes social determinants of health issues. So they may not be on a um, insurance plan, so but they can pay out of pocket and they are willing to get tested for certain things. So we are helping people with affordable and accessible testing. The flip side, as you said, is also this idea of going to payers. And so we do have the ability for us to work with large insurance companies to cover, as you mentioned earlier, HEDIS and STARS, which is the quality metrics that payers are looking for. So things such as cholesterol screenings, um, A1C, so diabetes, something even called colon cancer screen, which is um, a fit test for us. And people can do this in the comforts of their own home and then help the payers hit their quality metrics. So we work with payers to do that. We're also looking at annual wellness screens and a lot of other things to help people that may not have a PCP be able to at least get the first line of testing that everyone deserves. So I I really want to focus on the consumer part of it because we've seen a lot of consumer initiatives come from really big players in the industry. Most famously last year, you know, Amazon, JP Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway were starting to do something. Nobody really knows exactly what they were doing. And then it seems like each one of those companies kind of split out and they were doing employer clinics or doing whatever it is. What are some of the biggest barriers to getting consumer centric initiatives off the ground that even, you know, Caremark CVS is having trouble with it? You know, you see minute clinics and we see new acquisitions all the time. What's going on when, you know, even some of those big ones, the big companies are like, yeah, this is this is a lot harder than it looks. Yes, it's uh, I think it's the holy grail for a lot of companies to try to unlock the consumer driven branding. I think a few things that we are working on and what I think we do well in is really engagement. So how do we own the entire journey so that people have like sort of a one stop shop? They don't have to have multiple point solutions, but they have one place to go. The second is, I think that is really key, is I experienced this at Anthem. 
people don't want to be known as a diabetic or a smoker. They want to be known as someone who is healthy and well. So when you call someone up and you're like, hey, would you like to quit smoking? People will hang up the phone. But if you have a wellness brand that I think Everly has, which is this concept of let's help you drive towards your best self. Like, where do you want to be? What do you look forward to doing? How do you want to spend more time with your grandkids? That type of concept is pretty relatively new. And say, and by the way, if you want to get there, if you want to feel healthier, if you want to be more active, these are some ways that we can help you engage in your health and feel excited about it. So that's one way that I think engagement uh, for the consumer side is really key. We also work with integrated brick and mortar presence. So of course, after you have these tests, you can always go back to your provider if you do have one and to talk to them about any diagnostic tests that you've had results. We also drive down a lot of the cost vagueness, right? So the idea of transparency, what you're getting is what you buy. There's no additional test, I would say cost. So we build in all of our following up consults. Um, if a if a provider follows up with you, all baked into the test cost upfront. And that's something that I really think is very key for people to trust the brand and trust um, what they're buying. I, I totally agree. And I love that you get, again, I said, I'm just going to start agreeing with everything you said. Be like, yeah, I agree. I'm going to move on. But, you know, when you label people as a transactional you're a smoker, you're a diabetic, oh, this person, um, you know, has, has high cholesterol, high blood pressure. I, I, I mean, that is like a really, that's a, pardon me, that's a shitty customer experience. And that you only find that in healthcare settings where people just don't even look at you in the eye anymore. And people always say that. And you look at surveys, and that's why people want to go see a nurse practitioner rather than MDs most of the time, because they say, well, most MDs that I've ever talked to won't give me the time of day. They won't even look at me. They look at the chart. They ask me a couple questions and they're out the door. So we really forget that human element. And to me, that seems like a big limitation of population health. No, I, I agree. I think uh, a lot of population health requires this concept of, you know, there's providers that are the trusted source for a lot of patients. Um, so one is being able to acknowledge that patients do go to their providers and they trust their providers. And so if you try to reach them through different channels, they don't always trust you. They're not really sure where you're coming from, what's your motivation. But the other thing, too, is if you can build enough of a trust and a health and wellness brand, you can come from different channels there and then also work with the providers. And as you said, you know, with, with a lot of population health, the difficulty is getting people motivated to do things that are good for them. And it's instead of sort of managing them from top down and saying you are X, Y, Z, it's really trying to build the entire journey where they can go, where they, who they can be and planning it. I think there's also some really interesting key things about motivation. Some people buy based out of convenience. They buy a healthcare system, um, let's say a test, because they are working parents and don't have time and they don't have time to see a doctor. Some people buy out of cost. It's a little bit lower. Um, some people buy out of acknowledging that they trust a source of knowledge or content. So like we said, provider. And there are others that sort of are willing to go on, along on the ride if they are um, if you're able to show them a vision of what, who they can be. So we're we're looking at all of these different angles and trying to help support a person's journey. We're talking with Dr. Liz Quo, the Chief Medical Officer at Everly Health. Before we continue, a quick message from our sponsor, Freedom HealthWorks. If you're struggling to convert interested people into members of your direct care practice, you are not alone. The top challenge reported in direct care is patient sales. Whether you dread potential patient calls because sales makes you uncomfortable or because you are simply occupied with actually taking care of people, 
Freedom has a great solution for you. The Freedom HealthWorks Enrollment Desk Service includes a dedicated patient sales team for your practice across all U.S. time zones, live data measuring your total calls, leads, conversions, answer rates, and more, full prospect tracking from first contact through membership so nobody ever slips through the cracks, a customized plan that adheres to your patient values. If you dread the anxiety and time commitment of patient sales calls, the Enrollment Desk is your answer. Contact Freedom HealthWorks at 317 804 1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com to chat with a team member or schedule a demo. We're back with Dr. Liz Quo. Dr. Quo, curious based on that conversation of population health and how, you know, we mentioned value-based care before. You mentioned how it's tough to get patients to adhere to certain guidelines. And again, that that is what the chink in the armor is for me here saying, all right, if you're going to take value-based care, if you're going to go out risk, if you're a physician and you have somebody who just refuses to follow your instructions, what do you do as a physician when that happens, knowing that this person might cost you a ton of money? Oh, that's difficult. Uh, This is where we sometimes call it risk stratification, where there are some patients that are harder to manage than others um, for, you know, if they have comorbidities or complications. And then that there's a whole range of that. What I generally do is you can, you know, come at it from different channels. I've seen all sorts of things. Um, It's basically providing not only the uh, ability for them to have a full long-term journey where you say, let's enroll in this, let's figure out a plan. Or I've also seen people, a lot of providers partner with lifestyle companies, internet of things companies, like remote patient monitoring companies, um, whether it's blood pressure or others or Fitbits or Apple watches that help people really feel like they are connected some way. And then that information is shared with their families or loved ones. I've seen them also work with um, multiple companies that are doing also, if you take your medication, you can get a screenshot from your grandkids of um, showing them that you're actually taking your medication. We've seen social media companies work with others to have this like peer-to-peer um, discussion of how to mine data to support your ecosystem of those that are your community, people that you trust, whether it's companies that do things like patients like me or others that feel more connected. We've seen all sorts of things too with bi-directional data access so that you can share information, but also you get in return a gym membership or other things that drive down your ultimate costs of the healthcare system, but it's also good for you. So I think there's all different ways to create a community health hub, whether it's like education prevention to treatment in the community, to feeling like you belong to something. And this is something that I think I get very excited about because If we can really unlock that with multiple players in the ecosystem to get everyone to work together, we could uh, really try to motivate and change behavior. Is that something that's on the radar with your role at Everly? Yes, it's something we're looking at right now. There's, There's all sorts of things that I believe in. You know, what's also really interesting is, so for example, the past... Um, In healthcare, a product was the device, let's say a catheter or cardiac pacemaker. But then it became sort of a smart device with computing power. Now the solution is, um, let's say, a what about drug delivery with AI algorithms or a digital health pharmaceutical drug with companion diagnostic apps, apps that can track your symptoms and how you're feeling. And then in the future, it's going to be five different things that, that can be delivered in five different ways. So we're at a cross section of both the data that you can get, the different ways that you can deliver information, drugs, 
med devices and all the ways that we're connected. And I feel like as we're starting to build a lot of this, even in cell and gene therapy and the ways that we are um, in the biotech world, spending time unearthing and mining through data, it could be really exciting. You're still a practicing physician. You still see patients. So everything you just said right there, I mean, it sounds awesome, right? When you say that as a practicing physician, or you look at this, or you tell this to somebody else, is that physician going to say, hey, this is going to help me see patients and take care of patients or holy crap, this is going to burden me. I already don't have time to do the basic stuff. Now you're going to layer even more things on me. There's no way I can do this. Yes, I know. I think there are, there are a few different ways to look at it. One is that patients that are going through these different direct to consumer channels don't necessarily all have to share that data with their existing provider. Those networks sometimes have their own existing provider. So that's a separate thing and paid for by insurance companies. I will say, though, that I frequently get asked by all of of my patients, I heard about this digital app. Do you like it? Do you think it's worth it? It's a musculoskeletal app or if it's a fertility app. I do think physicians sometimes get overwhelmed with the type of information and the innovation that's happening. What I would say is for a lot of us, we're all trying to learn more so that we can be as educated about it when we have patients asking us. But I do think computing power and all these things, hopefully at some point, are actually going to improve the lives of physicians, Um, whether it's, you know, having a listening bot that helps you take notes when you're in the office with the physician. And then ultimately that bot can send information to your payer and say, this person qualified for XYZ, they should get an MRI, it's automated. On the flip side, coming from Anthem, what I did at Elevance was focused on improving physicians there who were all doing medical reviews. So utilization management, approving or not approving certain things. We actually were able to use AI algorithms to approve, so say, hit all the check check boxes for a medical records, comb through medical records and pull out information and automate that. Um, the goal is to help people practice top of license, which means instead of, you know, the couple thousand of physicians and nurses that were working for Anthem combing through medical records, you make that menial administrative task, you take that out and you have the the different kind of computing systems do it. And then you are able to then have physicians be able to practice top of license and just do what they are meant to do. There's going to be some some audience members. We'll see if we uh, get anything coming back saying you know, if you just stop doing business with insurance companies, you could do all this kind of stuff. And you could educate people like you're talking about. It's a practice of medicine. Like, of course, you want to be learning more. But I, I, I kind of I, I jest with you, Dr. Coyle. But time and time again, we talk to physicians they're like, yeah, this sounds great. I would love to do this. I just need more time with my patients. Yes, I agree. I think that's why I'm really excited about ability to have note taking and being able to look at a patient instead of like typing uh, your notes in front of your computer the whole time. And being able to have that real bedside manner that people deserve is is what I'm looking forward to too. And I, I just want to be clear there, you know, it sounds like, you know, I, I I'm right in lockstep with you that we talk to some people every once in a while. They're like, oh, it's just, you know, virtual. You can go all virtual. You never have to see another doctor ever again. And I'm saying, well, hold the phone here. Our view is that, you know, technology, no matter how great it gets, it's going to be a supplement to enable a physician to either spend more time with you or have more face-to-face time with you, better access advocacy. We, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about just you need an advocate and maybe your nephew who's monitoring your stuff doesn't really know what's going on, but you get a little green check that you took it. But what does that really mean, right? To have somebody, you know, who's a physician in your, in your pocket 
saying, hey, this is great, or you, we should really try something else like that. So that's what we've always believed in. And it sounds like, you know, you're right there that you're still going to have to have your trusted medical professional as a resource, not just replace them with bots and technology and, and virtual care. Absolutely. I think you will never be able to fully, uh, I would say, intermediate and change the physician trusted relationship, the nurses, the doctors, the uh, providers that we have. But as you mentioned, hopefully you can help them streamline their work and then through various types of technologies, help them really try to, I would almost say, suck the morals out of life, figuring out how to make sure that their experience with that patient is the most um, meaningful and driven by um, all the data that they can get that's hopefully useful to them. And then ultimately that they can really come to the right conclusions, right treatment plans, and then right comfort that they have to bring. Dr. Quo, last question for you. You're somebody who's been very active in kind of a global health trend. So I want you to look in your crystal ball and say, uh, you know, in the future, if we ever had to start over from a blank canvas and say, go design the perfect healthcare system, healthcare industry, what does that look like to you? Oh, that's a great question. I've not thought about this way, but I would say, of course, I would say universal healthcare is important. So being able to have like a basic level of healthcare, I do think that sometimes if you are able to make sure costs are driven down, but also still maintaining a really good quality of universal care, then at some point you are able to have people choose. So consumers still being able to be consumers and choose things that they would want on top of it to add on to what they think they need. So they you can reduce sort of medical gaslighting and other things that um, helping people understand and seek out answers. So I think having that would be um, very useful. Um, I'm Taiwanese, and so I came from Taiwan, and we had um, very easy access to any kind of care throughout the country. And I think that when I see what happened to America and the ways that we um, sometimes don't have the access and affordable care that we have here, it sort of, it makes me um, quite sad to see. So I think if we could potentially uh, look into other countries and how they do it and try to pull in some of the ways that they have kept costs low, that's really exciting. I will mention one thing that I do think in our global connectedness, I'm seeing models and technologies are getting flipped. So we used to develop things in the Western countries and then bring that past into um, developing countries. I'm actually seeing a lot of that model flip, which is people are developing really interesting MRI machines that are low cost at $500 to $1,000. And they're actually now figuring out how to manufacture it and then bring it to the U.S. So I'm seeing the flip model, which is there's more innovation happening in developing areas. And I can see that actually becoming an interesting trend as we scale. Dr. Liz Kuo, Chief Medical Officer at Everly Health. Dr. Kuo, I appreciate you coming on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our fantastic online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. 
Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.